last week, uh, we kicked off a, a sermon series on, on the Apostle Paul's a second letter to the Thessalonian church. And now, if this is your first time in a church, you're asking me, who is the Apostle Paul? What is the Thessalonian church? I know those are strange-sounding words to you, but let me give us some context. Paul was a follower of Jesus. He was initially opposing Jesus, persecuting people who followed Jesus, but he became a follower of Christ himself. And he lived and he planted and he served. uh, He planted many churches, served many churches in different parts of the world. And... uh, Around 50 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Paul wrote this letter to a church that was meeting in a city called Thessalonica in Greece. And Paul wrote a letter of encouragement to this church. And this letter is preserved for us in the New Testament of the Bible. The New Testament is that part of the Bible which was written after Jesus was born. And so that's what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. Paul wrote both the letters to the Thessalonian church with the aim of helping them to wait well till Christ would come back again. The Bible tells us that the same Jesus who first came as a sacrificial lamb to save sinners, the Bible tells us that this Jesus is going to come back again. And when he come back, comes back again, the Bible tells us that Jesus is going to do two things. First, Jesus will judge every person in this world. And second, once justice has been brought, brought forth, Jesus is going to make this world perfect and beautiful again. The Christian life is therefore a life of hope. Even though we may face many hardships as we wait for Jesus to come back again, when Christ comes again, there will be justice and there will be joy and beauty. Last week we saw how the young Thessalonian church was going through a lot of hardship and persecution and how Paul encouraged them. If if you missed that, the sermon's available online. But after encouraging them, Paul uh, prays for them. And he wrote a prayer for them. It's a small prayer, a simple prayer. And he wrote a prayer for them. And this prayer is there in the book of 1 Thessalonians in the first chapter. 2 Thessalonians in the first chapter. We're going to be looking at this prayer this morning. It will come up for us on screen. It's 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 11 to 12. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may glorify in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. How would you pray for a friend who is going through some hardship? We would pray for grace, we would pray for comfort, we would pray for the situation to change. 
we would most definitely pray that God would intervene and make the hardship go away and make our friend's life comfortable again. And that would be it. This is what we would pray for ourselves and this is what we would pray for others. But this is not what Paul prayed for the Thessalonian church. Let me break this down. In this prayer that we just read, Paul is praying for three things for the Thessalonian church. Let's look at those three things. To this end, we always pray for you. The first thing Paul prays is that our God may make you worthy of his calling. The second thing Paul prays is that our God may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. And the third thing that Paul prays is that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, On the face of it, this might seem like a normal prayer. But if you see this prayer, if you view this prayer in the context of the intense hardship and persecution that the Thessalonian church was experiencing, and we saw that last week, if you see it in the context of their hardship, this is an extremely surprising prayer. All three things that Paul prayed for is extremely surprising. And we're going to look at each of these three things that Paul prayed for this morning. Let's start with the first thing that Paul prayed for. That our God may make you worthy of his calling. Again, this seems like a, like a nice and a, and, a, and a sweet prayer. But if you see this prayer in the context of what's happening, let me invite us to see, let me ask us a question in the context of this chapter. In the context of this chapter, is Paul calling, is Paul praying about a general calling or when Paul prays that may God make you worthy of his calling, is he praying for something specific? Think about it. At this moment in time, what exactly was God's calling on the Thessalonian church? At this specific moment in time, God's calling on the Thessalonian church was to end your hardship in a Christ-like manner. And so when Paul is praying, may God make you worthy of his calling. It's not a general prayer. It's a very specific prayer. Paul is praying, may God make you worthy of the hardship he has called you to walk through. Sometimes, for followers of Jesus, suffering is a calling. Hardship is a calling from God himself. And this is true for every believer. Not just women in Kamathipura. Every believer, not just the Thessalonian church. Look at Philippians chapter 1 verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Or look at 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21. For to this you have been called, 
because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that we might follow in follow him in his suffering, that we might follow in his steps. So Paul is praying that God would make the Thessalonians worthy of the hardship that God has called them to endure. What do we pray when we go through hardships? Do we pray, God, take my hardships away and make my life comfortable? Or do we pray, Father, make me worthy to walk through the hardship that you have called me to? We're all afraid of hardships. Isn't that true? We're all afraid of hardships. But the truth is, we needn't be afraid. Before Christ, before what Jesus did for us on the cross, before Christ, suffering and hardship was a sign of God's anger on us. Before Christ, suffering is a a sign, is a reminder that we have been separated from God because of our sinfulness. But in Christ, suffering is a sign that we are being sanctified and perfected in God. And so quite often, for those of us who follow, who believe in Jesus, hardships are a grace of God. But why is it? Why is hardship a calling? Why is every follower of Jesus called to hardship? The answer is a very simple one. Some of our sanctification, some of our transformation, some of our character development can happen only through hardship. No follower of Christ has grown spiritually without enduring hardship. And hardships come in different shades, in different sizes, in different intensities, in different seasons in our, in our life. Some of us, for some of us, singleness could be hardship. For some of us, marriage could be hardship. For some of us, waiting for children could be hardship. For some of us, children could be hardship. For some of us, our work could be hardship. Whatever the nature of the hardship, whatever the cause of the hardship, God is working in every one of us through those hardships. And so hardships are such an important part of how we grow in Christ. Um, You know, all of us, we have our custom-designed version of Christianity. Uh, All of us, without exception. To some extent or the other, we all have a, a version of Christianity where we pick and choose the teachings of Jesus that, that are comfortable for us. And a lot of teachings of Christ that are not comfortable for us, we, we just leave it out. We cut the un- uncomfortable parts out. And so we all have a truncated version of being a follower of Jesus. And, and this grace of God in being transformed through hardship is one of the first things we cut out from the teachings of, of Jesus. Isn't that true? What is the hardship you are facing in your life right now? 
How is God calling you to grow in Christ-likeness through that hardship? We have to consider this question. Every time you and I, every time we face a hardship, we have to consider the question, how is God calling me to grow in Christ-likeness through this hardship? If we are not considering this question, if we are not answering this question for ourselves, we are going to walk through such hardship and gain nothing from it. On the other hand, if we ask and answer this question for ourselves, we are going to walk through the hardship and we would have gained a little more of Christ through that experience of hardship. And that's the first thing that, that Paul prays for, that God would make you worthy of the calling to hardship in that season. Specifically, that's what Paul is praying in the season. If you are going through a season of hardship, it would be good to pray that. Make me worthy to endure this hardship, Lord, till you take away the hardship. The second thing that Paul is praying for the Thessalonians is this. That God may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. And this too seems like a perfectly normal prayer, a sweet prayer, nothing surprising about this. And Paul is praying that God will fulfill every good desire of the Thessalonians by his power. He is also praying God would bless and fulfill every work of faith that they undertake by his power. And the works of faith here refer to, to simple things that all followers of Christ are called to do. Loving one another, encouraging one another, serving one another in our jobs, working with all our hearts as working for the Lord, loving our families well, serving at church well, being hospitable in our homes, giving generously, sharing the good news of Jesus. All these are works of faith. Paul is praying that God would bless the Thessalonians in these works of faith. And so, it seems like a perfectly normal prayer. But the entire color of the prayer changes the moment you see this prayer in the context of the intense hardship the Thessalonians were going through. Let me ask a simple question. Think of the last intense hardship you were facing. Think about it for a moment. In the midst of the hardship, were you thinking about loving and serving others? Or in the midst of the hardship, were you just withdrawing and, and, and brooding? In our last hardship, were we serving joyfully or were we sulking sorrowfully? When, when hardships come, when, when the hardships of life hit us, we pause all the works of faith, do we not? When hardships come, sometimes we even pause faith itself. Wounded, we crawl away into a dark, isolated space, away from Christ. But do, you, do you see what Paul is doing here? Do you see why this prayer is surprising? Here is a young church 
that she has been planted. And this church is going through so much hardship and persecution. And Paul is praying for them that they would continue their works of faith even through this hardship. And just as God, Paul encouraged the Thessalonian church, God is encouraging us too to press on in these works of faith even through seasons of hardship. You know, this is not easy to digest. I'm sure none of you have signed up to hear a sermon like this in the, in, on, uh, this morning. Uh, persevere through works of uh, faith even during times of hardship. This is not easy to digest. So let me clarify one thing, and then let me explain one thing. First, the clarification. God is not calling us to be emotionless zombies and not feel any emotions at all in our hardship. God is not calling us to ignore our hardship. God is not calling us to bury our hardship. God is not calling us to put up a fake brave face and and just press on through our hardship. God is not calling ourselves to uh, turn our hearts into cold steel and just keep doing good things just unmindful of all the hardship we are facing. Not at all. God is not saying do not lament. If you read the book of Psalms in the Bible, the Psalms are full of lament. The Psalms are full of prayers where people are expressing their anguish to God. And that's a model for us. God is not saying don't feel sad. That's not what God is saying. But what God is saying is don't be so sucked up in your disappointments and in your griefs that you completely stop believing in the eternal hope that we have in Christ Jesus. God is telling us, God is not telling us don't feel sad at all, but God is telling us not to be so buried in our anxiety that we totally stop loving and serving others. You see, there are two errors here. The first error is to ignore our hardship and to only serve others. The second error is to focus only on our hardships and totally avoid serving others. Both are errors. Well, let me ask us something. Which error are you vulnerable to? Are you more vulnerable to ignore your hardships and keep serving others? Or are you more vulnerable to focus only on yourself and your hardships and just completely ignore others? Most of us, Most of us are vulnerable to the latter. The moment, the first sign of hardship, we just start looking inward. Our hardships become our entire world. And this is not healthy. This is not healthy for us. Let me now explain why Paul is praying that the Thessalonians will grow in their good works even through The hardships. When faced with hardships, as I was saying, there are two ways in which we can respond. First, we are more likely to brood and to grumble and to be dejected. This is okay to some extent. We we can express our disappointment and grief and struggles to God. This is okay to some extent. But when we cross that line, 
when we cross the line in expressing our disappointment or feeling dejected, when we cross that line, there is the very real risk of tumbling down into a downward spiral of negative emotions. Familiar? I'm sure all of us have experienced this. A downward spiral of negative emotions. And over time, this approach makes this approach rejects the eternal hope that we have in Christ. Or at the very least, it makes us indifferent to the hope we have in Christ. If we allow this to happen, we are shutting the door of God's grace on our own faces. This is not going to help us. The second approach is to love God and to serve others even if it is just a little in the midst of a hardship. Just a little. That's it. Even a feeble step of faith in this direction can throw open the floodgates of God's grace into your lives. What Paul is saying, and what I'm saying this morning, may seem counterintuitive. It may seem to fly on the face of logic. But grace is counterintuitive. The grace of God flies against the face of logic. How can you explain God dying for the sins of men? How can you explain Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God Himself, dying on the cross to pay the punishment for the sins of men and women? Does that make sense? Is that intuitive? Doesn't that fly against the face of logic? How can you explain the suffering and the humiliation and the shame and the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, on the cross for our salvation? Grace is counterintuitive. God's kingdom is upside down. Whoever finds his life, Jesus said, will lose it. And whoever loses his life will find it. In grace, God said, your benefit at, our, at my expense. That's, that is grace. That's what Jesus did. He died at his expense for our benefit. If this is indeed what grace is, then should we also not extend a tiny, tiny slice of this and say, even in the midst of our hardship, to say to others, your benefit at my expense. The kingdom of God is upside down. It doesn't work the way we are conditioned by this world to think. The one who also extends the grace of God he has received to others will enjoy it so much more richly than the one who receives it merely for himself. Let me repeat that. The one who extends the grace of God to others is going to enjoy it so much more than the one who keeps it for himself. When we faithfully continue serving just a little bit, that's it, a step of faith, a step of faith 
to say, I believe in Jesus. A step of faith that proclaims that if I believe in a Savior who suffered, He will empower me to serve others, even through my hardship. When we take that step of faith, a little step of faith, to help someone in some need a little bit in the middle of our hardship, you will see the floodgates of God's grace just flow abundantly into your lives. You know, about 15 years ago, I knew a man. He was, um, uh, he was um, born in a Brahmin family and became a follower of Jesus, just like myself, about 15 years ago. And he was dying of cancer. He was dying of stomach cancer. Um, he, uh, he had gone through surgery. He had gone through chemotherapy. The doctors had tried the best they could. The church had prayed all that they could, but he was dying. He knew he was, he was dying. He had two young sons at that moment, married to a wonderful woman. The, the family knew he was dying. The church knew he was dying. And as we were waiting for the inevitable in this case, I, I, I really felt I wanted to just go and be with him for an hour just to pray with him. Uh, to, to offer some comfort. And I remember he was living in Versailles. I remember taking a train going to Versailles and I was feeling so awkward. 15 years ago, I was still growing. I still am growing in Christ. But I wasn't sure what, what, was, what, was, what was I going to tell him. What do you tell a man who's dying? What do you tell a man who knows his days are numbered? How do you encourage him? And so I, I wasn't really sure. And so, without knowing what I'm going to do, I just felt I had to go and help him in some way. And so I went and I spent an hour and a half and two year, two, an hour and a half or two with him, and I was totally surprised by what happened at his home. He was weak, he was fragile, he was dying, but he was full of life. He was encouraging me. He was sharing his journey, the struggles he faced as a first-generation believer in Christ. And he was encouraging me in my faith in Jesus. I was going to serve him, and he was, going, he was serving me. The conversation was not what I expected. I did not expect this from a man who knew his days were numbered. I went to encourage him in the last few days of his life, and he encouraged me for the many years I still have left. This was over 15 years ago, and I still so vividly remember the conversation. I still feel the encouragement that I felt in my heart. I felt coming back and after meeting him and during meeting him, I felt in my heart a desire to serve Jesus more. This was a defining moment for me in my faith. He was not... He was a dying man, but he was alive. He was a dying man, but he was living a life of purpose. He was living with a joy in Christ, not cancer, not even death was able to take that joy away. And this is what Paul is praying for the Thessalonian church. This is what Paul is praying for us, even in your hardship. Continue the works of faith. A little bit. A little bit. We, we don't have to really, as I said before, do things that, that are just 
unimaginable. But just that one step of faith and you will see the empowering grace of God in your life. And that's why Paul's second prayer is also a surprising one. Press on in your good works even in the midst of hardship. And that brings us to the third and the last thing that Paul prayed for this church. This too is surprising. This is very surprising. And this is the third thing that Paul prays. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of God. There are two parts to this prayer. The first part is not surprising at all. The second part is very surprising. First, Paul prays that as the Thessalonians faithfully endure hardship and suffering, continuing to do works of faith, the name of Jesus will be glorified in them. This is a beautiful prayer. No surprises here. But next, Paul also prays that as the Thessalonians faithfully endure hardship and suffering, they will be glorified in Christ. Let me read that prayer again. So that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of God. This is astounding. Astounding. Jesus being glorified in the Thessalonians is no surprise. But the Thessalonians being glorified in Christ in their suffering, this is something else. And this prayer not only applies to the Thessalonians, it applies to all of us as followers of Jesus. Yes, Christ will be glorified in us as we endure hardship faithfully, but we will also be glorified in Christ. We will be glorified in Christ as we serve faithfully even in hardship. And you consider this, there is a dual glorification that is happening here. Christ is glorified in us and us being glorified in Christ. This is incredible. Think about it. Why should we be glorified? Why should I be glorified? Why should you be glorified in Christ? Isn't it enough that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us? Isn't forgiveness enough? That God would pay so high a price to forgive us? Isn't that enough? Would you have asked for more? Isn't it enough that Jesus justified us? Isn't it enough that he adopted us into God's family because he himself was forsaken, abandoned, orphaned so that we could be accepted? Isn't that enough? Why on earth should we be glorified in Christ? If you answer because God loves us that much, the answer would be correct. But the answer would fail to capture the full depth of his love. The answer will fail to capture the full extent of his love. And the answer would be theologically shallow. Why on earth 
should we be glorified in Christ? Here is the answer. When we come to faith in Jesus, when we come to faith in Jesus, we are not just invited to faith in Him, we are not just invited to salvation in Him, but we are all also absolutely embraced into a union with Christ. Every true follower of Jesus exists in a state of union with Christ. In this verse, when Paul prays, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, the in you in this verse actually means in union with. You see, because we are in union with Christ, because in our faith, in our salvation, we are completely united with Christ. When Christ is glorified through us in our hardship, we are also glorified in Him because we are in union with Him. You see, this is the full extent of His love. Jesus embraces us in His love so much that we are united with Him. We are in union with Him. Stay with me here, please. There is another beautiful implication of this. What we've already seen, what we just saw, because of our union with Christ, because we are united with Him, inseparable union with Christ, because we have that, when Jesus is glorified, we are also glorified with Him because we are in union with Him. Now think of the opposite implication of this. Now, if this is true, then because of our union with Christ, does it also not mean that Christ stands in union with us in our hardship? You see, if we are glorified in Christ because He's glorified in us because of our union, then is it not also true that when we go through hardship by virtue of this eternal union with Christ that we have, is Jesus not also in union with us in our hardship? If you are truly a believer, if you're truly a follower of Jesus, or if you choose today to become a follower of Jesus, at the very moment you give your life and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you enter into a union with Christ. And since we are in union with Christ, Christ is united with us, with you, in every hardship and suffering. Do you see how close Jesus is to your hardship? Do you see how close Jesus is in your hardship? I'm not making this up. This is, this is absolutely biblical. The Apostle Paul, the man who wrote this letter, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, most of us remember, all of us remember, that he was once persecuting Christians before he came, became a follower of Jesus. He was known as Saul then. Do you remember the encounter that Saul, who was, who was furiously persecuting Christians, do you remember the encounter that Saul had with Jesus when Jesus revealed himself to Saul? That happened in Acts chapter 9, verses 4 to 5. And here's what Jesus said when he revealed himself to Saul. 
and falling to the ground, Saul heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. You see, at this point in time, Jesus had died on the cross. He had risen again from the dead. He had ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand side of God, the Father himself. This incident is happening after that. And Saul is persecuting all the believers. And when Jesus says, Jesus is not asking Saul, 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 why are you persecuting those who are following me? Jesus is asking Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, because Jesus is in union with every follower of Christ. When Saul was persecuting the followers of Christ, by virtue of Jesus' union with us, it is as if he was persecuting Christ himself. And do you realize what this means for us today? Do you realize what this means for you in every hardship you and I face? This means... That the Son of God, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is with us in every hardship, in every suffering, by virtue of our union with Christ. This is incredible. Jesus is not just a God who empathizes with us in our hardship. He is with us in our hardship. This is a mystery. I can't explain this. I, I, I'm lacking words. But the union with Christ, our union with Christ is one of the most fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. And this means Jesus is with us. When you suffer, when you are persecuted, when you endure the hardships of life, Jesus is with you, with me, by virtue of our union with Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, all of your suffering, all of my suffering, is always in union with Christ. He is near to us. This is how much Jesus loves you. As I close, those of us who are followers of Jesus, I'm going to invite us to pray for one another. Shall we pray for one another that whenever any of us go through hardship, we will remember that Jesus is with us in that hardship by virtue of our union with him. If you're someone who we would call an explorer, someone who's not a Christian, someone who's not a follower of Jesus, you're just checking Jesus out, you're interested, you're curious, allow me to leave you with this question. Do you want to experience this union with Christ? Do you want to experience this, this beautiful Savior, this beautiful God who laid down His life for us? Let us pray. Spirit of God, we, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord. Would you help, um, help us overcome our fear of hardship? 
our anxieties, our fears are so unfounded, Lord. We worry about so many things. We worry about hardships that haven't yet come. We look into the future and we keep worrying. What if this hardship comes? What if this hardship comes? What if this hardship comes? We are afraid so unnecessarily. Even if the hardship comes, Christ is with us. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray. Help us to remember, Lord. Help us to stand on the strength of our union with Christ as we navigate the hardships of life. Help us, Lord, we pray. Help us. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.